pastel de nata. Churros. Brigadeiro. Calzone. Apple pie. Shredu rou pian. Bangers and mash. Toad in the hole. Paella. Welcome back, everyone, for another episode of Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. My name is David G. Martins, and I'm the executive chef for the European Union Embassy in Washington, D.C. And my guest today is an entrepreneur, chef, and co-founder of Plant People, a cannabis and herbal supplement brand. In 2015, he won ABC's primetime show, The Taste, where the judges deem him American Best Undiscovered Cook. In 2020, he was awarded Forbes 30 Under 30 in the food and drink category. He believes food is our most intimate interaction with the environment and with each other. Our birthdays are only two days apart, so for people that care about this stuff, we are both Scorpios. And also, he wrote a hit song called Avocado Song. Gabe Kennedy, <laughs> welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. That's one of the best introductions I've had. Uh, this was our ever. second attempt. We have to be honest. I wasn't. I didn't, rec- I didn't record before, but no. Did you like the intro? It was even better the second time. I want it in uh, writing so I can share it as my bio because sometimes the bios can just be painfully long or um, or uneventful. Yeah, people get bored. So you just you nailed it. Thank you. Thank you. Very you got much. all elements of my personality. So. so the most important question of this whole podcast, have you ever been to Portugal? I've never been to Portugal. I've been convincing my, telling my parents, literally, like, I think they should move there. I, agree. I have a fair amount of friends who have moved there. And I hear incredible things from the wine to the people to the culture, the food, of course, and still like affordable-ish. Mm-hmm. Yes, it is. Do you know any Portuguese words? No, embarrassingly, okay. no. no. it's fine. I mean, Nobody yeah, knows. It's okay. It's, it's uh, embarrassing, though. I should. It's okay. So I have to ask you, yesterday I saw on your Instagram story, uh, you were making sardines. Was that sardines? It was not sardines. It was Those were bronzinos. Bronzinos. Well, they, were, they were tiny ones. Okay. And I have a soft spot for sardines. I okay. love sardines. Perfect. Yeah. I was going to ask you something okay. that I talked with someone last week here on the podcast. Does it bother you that when you eat the fish, it comes with a heads on or no? No. No, not Ameri- Americans have that thing. I know, but I think that that's, you know, that's the issue. Therein lies the issue of, of America, right? We're too far away from our food. So I think any opportunity to kind of look, look what we're eating in the eye is one that we should, we should honor and kind of, and acknowledge. I think it's important. And I, especially the small sardines, I know you're probably talking, you know, Portuguese sardines, which are larger from mm-hmm. my understanding and phenomenal. So delicious. I don't even, I don't mind even the smaller guys. I mean, I'll eat the head, okay. you know, I'll just Fine. throw them back. Um, <laughs> yeah. In fact, I sometimes, you know, I cooked outside the other day and when I was back in Colorado and I, I actually asked for just salmon heads uh, with the collar on so I could split them and cook them over this open fire. Cause I, they're so flavorful. Yeah. You know, I'm not eating the brains or anything. I'm not that adventurous, but lots of good stuff on there. Yeah. My mom, she likes to, when we, when I go back to Portugal and I eat sardines a lot, she loves to eat every time I go to a restaurant because I normally only eat the white part of the sardine, as I say, and she mm-hmm. can, she can eat the whole thing else. You know, she sucks the heads and the whole thing else. So basically mm-hmm. we split a sardine because I go for the, only the more tender white part and she just goes for the rest. So she loves it. That's our, that's our compromise when we eat together. It's like when I go out to, to, to eat with someone and we get, you know, a slice of cake or it's some, it's a birthday and I'm a cake guy. They're the icing guy okay. or girl, more, more likely girl. But, yeah. um, and you know, when we, you know, 
It's a mass sharing. Yeah, that's really good. what it is. Let's start with your food philosophy. What's the most important thing to you when you're creating a meal? Yeah, I mean, I think my food philosophy is always an ever-changing and evolving, but I think the consistent through line is trying to sort of honor and uh, celebrate the natural world in whatever way I can. So it tends to skew towards vegetables, tends to skew towards you know, being, being on the cleaner side of the spectrum. And I, you mentioned it up front, right? I think that one of the beautiful things about food is that it is this intimate interaction we have with not only the environment, but each other. And as I have gotten older, as I've kind of moved out of being, let's say a quote unquote chef and, you know, managing kitchens and being more in this broader food space or food ecosystem, I think it's become ever more present that food is not just about what's on the plate, but it's about, the people that you're with. It's about the conversations that are had. It's about the storytelling and the sort of the holistic experience, holistic experience. And I, I could not say that I had the same philosophy, you know, when I was working in fine dining restaurants at a, at a, at a relatively young age. And so I also think that part of my philosophy now is continuing to learn and explore and grow. And that means challenging myself by trying to cook out of the kitchen you know, and cooking over fire or cooking in unfamiliar situations, trying out new techniques or cooking with, you know, new ingredients or inputs, and also continuing to refine my culinary style, not by adding, but by taking away. And I think that that's been a really interesting, you know, shift, right? That we can put together flavors that will kind of slap you across the face and wake you up. And I think that they're I love eating that kind of food. I think it's delicious, but I think there's also something very elegant and, and sort of sensual and connected around really letting the ingredient speak. And at the end of the day, that comes down to the quality input from the beginning that has to do with agriculture. And I think that that is really where, you know, my food philosophy sort of sits is at this intersection of food and ag and acknowledging that you know, we need to be investing in regenerative, organic food systems if we want to feed the world and if we want to feed uh, people food that has nutrients in it. A lot of people on the podcast already said that before. Do you think more and more in the future people will have a necessity to understand where food comes from and understand what to, you know, what to do with the ingredient? Because before, 10 years ago, even people didn't care that much. Or if they did, I come from a different country. So I've been in the US for 10 years. But I wonder, do you think more and more people have an understanding and a worry? I, I mean, I hope, right? I think that unfortunately, and fortunately, right? I mean, I, I'm an optimist. So I'd like to think that as we continue to evolve and kind of move forward, we'll be more connected. I think, unfortunately, we'll probably also be more disconnected. You know, that is just a product of the, the big food food industry, right? Things are found in packages and eggs come in cartons and, uh, you know, tomatoes and in cellophane and meat in a styrofoam tray. And that is as far from the sources we can get. At the same time, there is a movement, there is, you know, education, there are programs that are, you know, reaching out and, and, and acknowledging that that's an issue. And I think that, you know, being able to educate youth and 
kind of the younger generations around where food comes from, what it means and how we have a responsibility and a stewardship to the planet will be a monumental shift. I believe people, I think our generation and the generation next to ours uh, that's coming, mm -hmm. I think there's a different understanding what uh, food is in general. You know, food was for many years, at least again, I come from Portugal, that was, you know, someone that knew how to cook very well, open a couple of restaurants in Portugal and that's it. There's no, I don't think there was a lot of awareness of outside of making great food. Right. Nowadays, I think our generation and the generation is coming and so on. You know, you go to the interior of Portugal and Portugal, just because that's the good example I can give. I think the US has a, a good advantage, which is money. And that mm -hmm. takes you a little longer than other places. And Portugal doesn't have as much money, of course. And I do believe that you go to, you know, some villages and you'll never think that you'll find food that you can find nowadays in Portugal. And I think mm -hmm. that has to do with our generation and the understanding and people trying more and more, not, not just so much put food on a table, but there's a story behind, you know, and try for people to understand that story. Money is somewhat of a double-edged sword, right? Just just because someone has money, that certainly does not mean that they're investing in in or investing the right way. That's fact, true, right? And in fact, I've actually seen it go the opposite direction, right? The I think it, it has to do with affinity and education, and it has to do to you know with with what people are aware of, and the more aware we become of these detrimental farming systems the more connection we have to our local farmer, the more we are going to interact with them. And, and I think that that's, you know, one of the things that we can do, right? I was talking with this guy, Jeff Catch of, of the Rodale Institute. And, you know, he's like, listen, if there's one thing you can do, it's like befriend a farmer. And I think that if you can do that, right, all of a sudden that connection is made. And in fact, farms are really fun. You know, they're interesting, they're hard work, but they're, they're really beautiful. So I think it depends on if we're talking about individual level, if we're talking systemic yep. change, if we're talking, you know, in the education system or the university system or the prison system, unfortunately, you know, in a lot of these institutionalized systems, food is where they can save money. It's not necessarily where, you know, they're investing and that in itself is an issue, but I'm hopeful, you know, I think that there is one, you know, less than 1% of farmland in the United States is certified USDA organic. That is not a lot. Does not mean that there are organic farms that are just not certified, right? It's these are certified farms, but that's a long way to go and a lot of opportunity for improvement. And I think that if we can start demonstrating the financial benefit of these regenerative and, and more organic systems where you're, you're putting less inputs in, it's less work to some extent. Yeah. Um, and you get more resiliency and higher yields, like that's where the magic is. So before we get to other things, so Plant People, how did it start and how, what was the idea behind? Plant People is a product of not only my imagination and a lot of hard work between my business partner and I, but really started with some very challenging health experiences that I had when I was younger. So I grew up in Boulder, Colorado. My both my parents are in alternative medicine. And the reason I say that is I give them so much credit for where and how this business has sort of evolved. They've been so helpful. But my mom is an acupuncturist and herbalist. My father's a chiropractor and acupuncturist. And so from a very young age, I was kind of born into and surrounded by this affinity for the natural world and that the plants and mushrooms and all these things that surround us, in fact, hold many of the keys to living a healthful 
life. And I was a ski racer. I'd fallen and broken my back and obliterated my disc. And it sent me on dealing with that for a decade and a half. And to some extent, I still deal with it, although it's very manageable and knock on wood, I feel strong. But, you know, it really challenged my perception of what was sustainable, of what and how I could find, you know, solutions to feeling good on a daily basis. And I really leaned to plant-based, you know, food and cuisine, alternative medicine, herbalism, and cannabis. Plant people is really an amalgamation of all of those things. And so on a hike, my business, my friend at the time, uh, and now business partner and still friend, his name's Hudson, and I were on a hike and we were overhearing a lot of these people saying, what is this thing called CBD? And what are, what is this thing called ashwagandhi? It's ashwagandha. But, and we sort of had this aha moment where people were saying, Hey, I don't know what this is. I'm very curious about it. I want to try it. And I have no idea where to buy it. And kind of the entrepreneurial side of us was like, ding, ding, ding. Sounds like we could, you know, be helpful here. And so it did just really start out as a project to kind of help people in our community. And this is in New York, have access to higher quality or alternative kind of medicine. And and that was CBD. That was this one compound in a plant that has hundreds. And we often, you know, we opt for full spectrum products, which is, I can explain that, but you know, this, it was very simple. It was, would, we'd make these products in, in our apartment or his apartment. And I would, you know, weigh out herb concoctions into clean paint tins and close them up and bring them to Home Depot and ask the guy to shake my paint and pack them into capsules and give them to friends and get feedback. And once we felt really comfortable, you know, through surveys and rounds of feedback, I went out to a lot of um, cafes and restaurants and really utilized and leveraged my love for and experience in food as a way of getting this into the public. And I do think that there is this philosophy and phrase from Chef's Collaborative called, and it's change menus, change lives. And I think that's really real. You know, we can introduce these unknown compounds or plants or modalities through the mean, the mechanism or medium of food, and it becomes approachable. It becomes safe. It becomes universal. And it's a great touch point for education. And so from there, Plant People was born. Perfect. What are the misconceptions and prejudices some people might have when you tell them you have a cannabis and herbal supplement brand? Well, I think that people automatically have a stigma when you say cannabis and that stigma is rooted in a lot of misinformation and a lot of sort of systemic issues. First and foremost, I like to call out that plant people is a company that believes in, you know, celebrating all plants, not just one. And so we're not hemp people. We're not pot people. We're not cannabis people. We're plant people. But if we do talk about cannabis, there's a few things, right? One is that it can be used in a variety of ways, but there are over 8,000 ways in which the hemp plant or cannabis plant can be used. There are 8,000 industrial uses, first off. One of them is you can get high. <laughs> Another is you can heal yourself, you know, or, and, and the list goes on and on. But I would, what I like to focus on is function. I think that plants and mushrooms and herbs and all of these things that are around us have a function and they've been used for function for as long as people have been around. And so there is a lot of anecdotal and a lot of plant wisdom that we should be honoring. It is not just to get high. 
It is not just to sell another product that someone need, doesn't need. There is a true opportunity to change people's lives. Another misconception is that it is, you know, all well and good. I think that the reality is when you look at cannabis, it is a industry that needs equity and access, that needs social justice as much as climate justice, and that there is a movement that is growing that it's becoming more accepted. And so we also need to accept the fact that it, you know, cannabis has been used as a tool to marginalize, you know, communities of color uh, for a very, very long time. And it's not acceptable for people to profit off of an industry that is at the same time putting people away for a really long time when they have just a joint in their pocket. And so I think that there's a lot of healing that has to happen. I think that there is a lot of, um, progress and policy reform that must occur. And I think the first, you know, step in doing that is normalizing, is calling a spade a spade and, you know, putting our money where our mouth is as far as being able to show up and make these changes. So if you could explain, imagine you have a crowd of 10 year olds in front of you, just because a lot of people, like I said, there's a lot of ignorance and a lot of uh, misinformation. Can you explain what you do with the marijuana plant, for instance, the whole CBD and THC, what do you take it out when you put it in to make your various products? Sure. Yeah, that's a great question. So I'm a very visual person. So I'm trying to like, let's all imagine, let's right? All imagine. Perfect. Okay, let's, let's all imagine that, imagine that mm -hmm. at the top of your mind and top of the screen, there is this plant and it looks like cannabis. In fact, it is cannabis. And from there, there's two lines that are drawn down, one to the left and one to the right. One is referred to as hemp. The other is referred to as pot, as weed, as cannabis, as marijuana. The only difference between those two distinctions is the amount of THC that is found in the plant. That's 0.3% THC when harvested. If it's above that number, it goes into the pot category, which is federally illegal, all those states have made it recreational. And if it's below that percentage, it's considered hemp. We work with hemp. So hemp is federally legal and contains 0.3% THC or less. THC is the compound that gets you high, the psychoactive compound. Now, all of a sudden we have this plant that we grow in sun and soil. And it's an extraordinarily powerful regenerative crop. It is, you know, uh, beautiful. It smells great. Anyways, what are we going to do with it? So aside from the 8,000 uses that you can use it for, let's talk about how we use it. So we have to extract that plant. And there are a lot of ways that you can extract. Actually, extraction is largely rooted in the food industry of getting flavors and being able to put them into a variety of products consistently. And so you can extract with water, you can extract with alcohol, you can extract with butane or hexane or heptane or CO2, right? All of these things have good attributes and bad attributes. You know, I would say certainly water and alcohol and CO2 are the cleanest and these other kind of more volatile compounds and chemicals have negative implications because you're working with them. So we extract with, with, with alcohol and with CO2, depending on the product that we want. If we have other plants that we're using, we extract many of those with water. And after you take the plant and put it through the extraction process, you're left with a 
concentrated full spectrum oil. Now this oil kind of looks like tar. It's really aromatic. It has a lot of like plant matter in it. And it's what we refer to as a full spectrum product. So that means that, well, before I say what it means, um, it's important to note that a full spectrum products in the market often show up in three different categories, full spectrum, broad spectrum, and an isolate. And that's why I think it's actually a misnomer to call the CBD industry that it's actually the hemp industry and CBD is one part of it. So full spectrum has fats and waxes. It has, you know, terpenes, it has THC in it. It has CBD, it has CBN, CBG, CBL, CBV, this whole list of cannabinoid content. And it's kind of like a whole orchestra playing together. Now, what people will do is they begin to refine that whole plant material, right? Like almost we look at it like the extra virgin olive oil. So the next level of refinement is removing the THC because sometimes it scares people, even though it's very important to the efficacy because it's an agonist. I know I'm going above 10th grade or 10, no, 10, 10 year olds. We have, we reached 13 year olds and that's fine. Yeah, okay. So, you know, we remove the THC and we get broad spectrum. And in the process of doing that, you also remove a lot of the other plant material, a lot of the other cannabinoids. And then you can do it once more where you create isolate, which is like a 99% pure CBD isolate. And it's, you know, it looks like a powder. It looks like a drug. It's fat soluble. It doesn't taste like anything. It's odorless. And so on one hand, you have this whole orchestra of plant materials, you know, playing together in a very beautiful and helpful and harmonious way. On the other side of that spectrum, you have isolate, which is a lonely violin playing and people make products out of those things. Now, each of those categories has their, their benefit and their drawback, but we opt for full spectrum because it's the closest thing to the whole plant. And we truly believe that whole plant materials, whether it's eating your whole foods, right? And getting your nutrients and vitamins and minerals from the food that you consume versus taking them in isolated form, right? Science really points to higher efficacy in these holistic products. And when we're talking about, you know, these kinds of compounds, more is not always better. So making sure that it's, you know, you're getting a ton of it and it's 99% pure does not necessarily mean that it's better for you. So we basically, you know, we extract a variety of different plants, understanding that each one of them is going to have their own profile of cannabinoids. And each of those profiles is going to be better or worse for a respective outcome. Uh, a good example is sleep. We want a product that will ultimately have, you know, higher levels of CBN as well as CBD. And we'll have terpenes, the aromatic compounds that push, you know, push the product towards that restful state, whether it's linalool and, or from lavender or myrcene from black pepper, et cetera. Um, and then we combine with other herbs to, to kind of amplify for that one specific solution, whether it's stress and anxiety, mood, focus, pain and inflammation, sleep, or just kind of general wellness. So hopefully that answers your question. In short, what we try to do is we try to grow plants that have unique characteristics for the outcome. We optimize the expression of those plants through a variety of extractions, 
the way that we would, we cook foods differently based on what they are. We also want to treat the plants differently based on what they are. And then we combine it and we put it together. We compose the plate, if you will, to evoke a particular outcome in the customer, the consumer, the guest. And that's what makes each product unique. It's what makes each product different, just like, and suits different needs, just like different items on a menu would. So let's play a game, Gabe. So you go yep. to that island and you can take one protein, one vegetable, one fruit, and one dessert. I'm taking a fish. I'm taking fish. I'm taking fish. Okay. A veg. Yeah, do you want a specific? No, fish? it's okay. okay. It's a fish. Uh, yeah, a fish. I'm going with arugula. A fruit. A watermelon. And one dessert. Like, does like a frozen yogurt machine count? <laughs> Sure. The logistics and how you set it up there, it's fine. A frozen yogurt machine. I'll take that. I want, a fro- I want, I want Froyo regularly. Okay. <laughs> so <laughs> sh- shifting the conversation here, what was your first memory of taste? Wow, of taste. I think the first thing that comes to my mind is like a carrot. I think like, I think it was a carrot. I, I have this memory of like chopping carrots in the kitchen with my mom. Like, you know, I'm sure I had like a butter knife or something. And just sort of this like sweet thing, but honestly, pro- I mean, if I get probably breast milk was the first well, taste yeah. that yeah. I ever had, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. uh, what's the most underrated ingredient for you? So it's either onions or lemons okay. because I, I think like onions are probably my favorite in that I feel they're so versatile. The reason I said lemon is that if I had salt, pepper and lemon, like I'd be a happy camper for the rest of my life. Overrated Next. ingredients. <sighs> Steak beef like i think that like it's kind of an overrated thing the best breakfast you can have i love a breakfast taco eggs spicy salsa avocado herbs you know whatever i'm a big uh like breakfast taco guy although i don't eat breakfast these days yeah i like that and i also i'm a sucker for yogurt and fruit a greek yogurt with cold maple syrup poured on top and berries is just out of this world for it's me. It's my breakfast every day. I'll eat it for breakfast. I'll eat yeah. it for dessert. I'll eat yeah. it for dinner. I'll eat it for lunch. Like I'm like, anytime. What is the strangest combination food-wise some people might do it that you just cannot accept when people put one or two ingredients together that you're like, no. Oh, you know, I was thinking about this. Like just the idea of dipping like a vegetable into just straight up mayo, like duh, I don't get it. Okay pretty common i guess it's common i just don't get it like i have this visual of this person that i knew growing up like dunking raw broccoli for florets into like a jar of mayo and i just never really understood it i just can't get behind it that's a little weird so the name of the podcast is turning chickens and breaking dishes those are two portuguese phrases turning chickens means someone that has a lot of experience and breaking dishes means someone that has exceeded all expectations do you think you've been turning more chickens or breaking more dishes I'm like an under-promise, over-deliver kind of a guy. So I want to be a breaking dishes dude. Perfect. <laughs> you, can yeah. you can be that dude. That's okay. At the end of the podcast, I always tell my guests to sell their fish. So in Portugal, if someone tells you to sell your fish, that means to talk about yourself. What's in the future for you? you know, what do you have plans that you can share where people can find you? Just sell your fish, Gabe. Sure. So... Uh... <laughs> Let's just revert back to my, to that wonderful bio. Um, <laughs> the fish have been sold, my friend. So I got some fresh sardines. Uh, they're in this cooler. And <laughs> underneath them are uh, a whole bunch of plant wellness products. 
you know, I think my, my plans are just to continue growing plant people and, and figuring out ways to be able to support, you know, our community through products and education and, and hopefully more events that are rooted and connected in food. If you're interested in finding more out about that or finding more out about me, or if really I can be helpful in helping you navigate your own kind of journey through the plant-based wellness world, feel free to find me on Instagram where my handle is Gabe underscore Kennedy. My email is Gabe at plantpeople.co. And you can also con- so you can contact me directly through there, or you can contact me through Plant People, which is our website is uh, plantpeople.co. Our handle across all social media is at Plant People. And we truly would be more than happy to help uh, answer any questions, be of service, you know, uh, impart our, our knowledge and try to be as helpful as we can. And if we don't know the answer, we'll, we'll certainly go try to find it out for you. Thank you very much, Gabe, for the, mm-hmm. for the conversation. A very important question. What's for dinner tonight? Do you already know? You know, I, had a re- I made a really good dinner last night and I was trying to figure it out because I'm, I'm kind of, I have like two cauliflowers. <laughs> the world, That's the options are endless. <laughs> the options are well, endless with two cauliflowers. What would you do with two cauliflowers? Oh, with two cauliflowers. <laughs> it has to be one dish or two dishes? No, I mean, whatever, man. Yeah, I, I actually was my lunch. It was roasted cauliflower soup with tahini. So that was my lunch. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, what else you can do? I mean, you can, I like to do tempura, cauliflower tempura, you know, with, with a little oh. dipping sauce. There you go. Sounds really good. Ten dollars for the invoice, Gabe. That's my yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, I'll probably do. I'll probably do some cauliflower. I was also thinking about. I've, I've got like a cauliflower pizza crust also in okay. the fridge, so maybe making a little, you know, pesto, caramelized onion, mozzarella. Where are you getting all these ingredients? You just said you had two cauliflowers. <laughs> there's a stock fridge in here, oh. <laughs> but like, but there's no, there's no like main, okay. you know, there's no main there's thing. No, yeah. I got no it. Yeah. steak or chicken or whatever, just some vegetables. Well, Gib, thank you again. This was a pleasure. If I ever go to Colorado, I'll text you. I've uh, never been to Colorado. Or New York. Or New, New York. York. I've been to New York. And that's it. I hope to catch up with you very soon. So thank you. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Was that fun? I know it was. Thank you very much, Gabe, for coming on the podcast. Don't forget, I release an episode every Wednesday, so make sure you are tuned all the time. If you want to send me a question or if you have a suggestion for a guest, you can do so to info at turningchickensandbreakingdishes.com. You can also find the Facebook page, Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes, or you can find me also on Instagram. Just search for Turning Chickens and Breaking Dishes. Thank you very much. Be safe, be happy. Adeus.